Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. How's it going, everyone, tonight? This is Tyler Dunn from Go Long here for a special edition of the Go Long podcast out of these divisional playoff games. I'm here remotely at my home. We're all at our homes. Doug Whaley down there in Pittsburgh. We got Jim Monis downtown Buffalo. We're all over the place, fellas. How we doing? Doing great. Uh, just enjoyed that uh, nice little divisional round of weekend games and uh, ready to let's uh, let's go over them, see what we got to talk about today. Yeah, Jim, I mean, what's uh, how do you, I guess both of you guys, how do you take in games when you're watching it? I imagine it's probably a little different than a, than somebody like myself, you know, you watch in a different way. Well, mine depends on how much I bet on the game. If I'm standing <laughs> the whole time or if I'm sitting and just enjoying it, but no, it was, I get excited. I'm, I don't know how you are, Doug, but I, I do get excited for the playoffs. Like it, it takes you back to those days. You know, we didn't get to experience that in Buffalo together, but New Orleans, Pittsburgh, and there's nothing like it. And this time of year, you're going to college all-star games. You're seeing the other scouts and you, and you like to, you feel pretty good about yourself, you know, if you're advancing and it's just one of those things that you know how hard it is to do. So to accomplish these wins and, and to think about what these teams are going through right now, you really admire the work. No doubt about it. And uh, like Jim said, you really understand what each team that's in the playoffs is going through. Because when you're in it, you're so focused on the task at hand. Like we got to beat this team. And if we beat this team, we're going to this team. We get to this team, we're going to the championship. And after championship, we're in the Super Bowl. So you're so laserly focused. You don't really get a chance to take a step back, take a deep breath and enjoy the moment. 
I actually enjoy the playoffs like Monas does more because you understand what is every person and every team and every scout and every player and every coach and even the families are going through. So you really enjoy the moment more when you're not in it but have been through it than when you're in it because you're like, we don't want this to end. And you're, like I said, laserly focused on the goal at hand, and that's to win the championship. I'm at, because there's just so much at stake with every play. I mean, legacies are made in these games. It's just, you just know that everybody in all of these cities will be talking about these games for the rest of their lives. I mean, the pressure is, is just insane. So let's just jump right into it. I mean, Buffalo takes care of business against Baltimore. I mean, I don't know. I didn't see this kind of game. I thought it, even with the wind, even with the, you know, the, the sleet and the snow, whatever was going on there for a little bit before the game, I didn't expect a 17 to three game. Did did you guys? I didn't, but I'll say this much. I have to tip my hats off to Buffalo's defensive game plan. Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier did a great job because I was really concerned that they would not be able to, to, counter that running attack that especially the way that Baltimore emphasizes the run so they did a great job of making Baltimore one-dimensional and Monas Lamar got exposed I mean his deficiencies were were not I mean there there was just a glaring weakness and I'm really can wonder if he'll be able to overcome those so um to hit on another point that Buffalo offensive line I thought played really, I thought they protected Josh pretty well against, I, that's one of the best pass rushes in the NFL and you can't give enough credit to them for keeping him, because those conditions weren't easy to throw in. Obviously the way the kickers were struggling, those are the best kickers in the NFL. Um, and to see Josh still make those throws, especially when he came out in the second half, be that accurate and on point. And the thing with, the, the thing he's got going with Diggs right now, it, it's like, it's that far of Sterling Sharp stuff. I mean, it's, you know, I know that's old Tyler and I are old Packer fans, Doug. I know you, mm-hmm. you know, you're stealing, oh, no, but you remember that, that, that just that special, like, it doesn't matter. I mean, these guys have something going. that's just going to be hard to stop. But to the Lamar point, Doug, Tyler and I talked on a podcast earlier this year and Tyler, you remember I said, they don't advance. They need to, at some point, they're going to have to address, is this the right quarterback for our future? And we win Super Bowls with this style of quarterback. And, you know, I thought he looked completely uncomfortable. I don't, I didn't, it, he did not look like he knew what he was supposed to read. He never knew like he knew where to get rid of the ball quickly. It was just playground. I, I thought it was, they looked poorly coached. I, I agree. And I'll tell you this much. They have a major decision coming on and it's going to be sooner or later. Do you pay this guy? And right now that's, that's something that I, I would struggle with because you know where he can get you. Don't get me wrong. He has done some incredible things in this league. But the whole object of this game is to win championships. And right now with where he is as a quarterback, he, he can't take you to the promised land. And I just don't see an avenue where he's going to get that much better. And even in the replays, there were some guys running wide open where he completely just didn't even look at. And they were just simple reads. It wasn't like it was an intricate defense that they were throwing at him. Now, I do want to go back to the offensive line did a great job for Buffalo, but I was surprised that they did not blitz more. They were so heavily concentrated on the blitz in games before. I thought they would come after him and make them feel uncomfortable. And when they did have a few blitzes, they did 
upset him, get him off the mark, had a couple sacks, but they decided to play in coverage. And I thought they were going to go with a different game plan. This is Baltimore I'm talking about, of blitzing him because they have the, the corners to hold up against the, those wide receivers. So I was a little surprised at that game plan. Yeah, Wink Martindale, it was like he – that was his counter, right? Like, and he's been blitzing more than anybody all season long and just figured, oh, I'll just throw a curveball at Josh Allen and, and try to disguise things on the back end. But I, I thought that would, would be the best way to go because we've seen what Josh Allen can do when you blitz him. He kills you usually. Um, but maybe in that case, it's like, all right, you know, rather than being scared, maybe you should just cut it loose and be who you are this time of the year. Be bold and go out swinging. I mean, look, they, they held them at 10 points, so they did something right. They did, but the conditions were, were, were not conducive to a very high-scoring game. And also, we have to say both quarterbacks did not play very particularly well. I mean, Josh came out that first drive in the second half, but when he started looking in that drive, they mixed in the run. They came out in that first half, and they were throwing, throwing, yeah. throwing. And I th- it was, in, it was again, historical. It was historical, but again – what we say, you throw to score points, but in the playoffs, you got to run the ball. And they didn't start taking control of that game until, until they started running the rock. Was that Brian Dayball, like trying to, I don't know, show the Chargers, show some of these teams, look, look here, guys, it's playoff time, baby. I'm, I'm throwing it around. It's a very Dayball-friendly podcast. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a, a pretty brilliant guy. But, uh, I mean, they were literally throwing the ball every single play. That game was hard to watch. I did not. I didn't like watching that game. I'm not gonna lie. I was like, I lost interest a little bit in the, mostly in the first half. I was yeah. tuned out a little bit. But it, that was poor football. Like when you when you put on today's games, and think about that game. You know, there was a clear difference in like the efficiency and talent level of these guys today. Um, well, I shouldn't say talent level, but the the efficiency part of it and how they produced was just you know the conditions may have caused that. But, but Tyler, there's a saying that uh, is in football because coaches sometimes try to outsmart themselves. And we always say, well, they got coaches too. Why would Dayball go out in those conditions and throw all the time? Why would Wink Martindale get away from what his bread and butter and what got him there? Because they're coaches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't really uh, weigh in on Lamar. I've been a pretty pro Lamar here this whole time, but you guys just nailed it. Like it's, it was tough to watch. I mean, I don't know. Maybe some of it is what Steve Smith was talking about on NFL Network. That was pretty damning. I don't know if you caught that, but like basically said that Greg Roman's offense is terrible and simplistic and quote unquote elementary. Um, I mean, you guys know Greg Roman well. I don't know if you don't want to weigh in on his offense or anything. It was it was pretty scathing. So I imagine there's some of that. But like Doug said, there were guys open. He wasn't hitting them. He had, what, 34 rushing yards. So he never was able to cut loose and that seemed like, you know, a credit to the game plan. And, and Jerry Hughes was amazing. Um, kind of a combination of everything. But, like, out of all of that, what, what stood out to you most and to why they were really able to just shut down the hottest player in the NFL? You want to take it first, Monas? Go ahead. No, I, to be honest, I wanted to hit on the Greg Roman stuff a little. Okay. Um, I just thought the Bills, I thought defensively, their game plan was, I mean, you could tell they were keeping them, they were doing the best they could keep them in the pocket. They had different ways of setting those edges. Um, I, it was really impressive. They're just a well-coached football team. You can't not see that with Buffalo. The Greg Roman stuff, I swear I was having like 
flashbacks watching that game. Like it was just confusion. What are we doing? What's our identity? You know, it, it just, it, it was frustrating for me. You know, now Dobbins dropped some balls that, 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 you know, that, you know, stuff like that can change, you know, drives and things like that. They didn't play their best. You know, I don't want to always blame coaches, but I, I didn't like the way Lamar looked confused. And he de- never did anything to help him. Uh, they, they were not doing good. They, they, the first drive, they were downhill running, power running attack, getting eight, nine yards at a clip. And then all of a sudden he started doing a lateral running attack. And then once that got bottled up, he never made adjustments. He never helped his quarterback out. And that's one of the things that uh, I think is, is a frustrating part of that game, watching that game saying, if you're going to keep banging your head trying to do the same thing and it's not working, it's the epitome of just going insane. It's just not going to work. So I didn't see the adjustment in the first half and the second half. And that's really disappointing, especially when you're at that juncture in the season and it's win or go home. Jerry Hughes, uh, both, both you guys, I mean, he was remarkable. Um, I am surprised that he's still getting after the quarterback at, at this point of his career, longest tenured bill around, I believe, um, t- take us back to the trade. I mean, how, do you remember how this kind of went down? Was it was it 2013 actually? Was it way 2013? Back? Yeah, but yeah, Buddy Nix uh, came in and said, "Hey, listen, we got a chance to get Jerry Hughes." And if you remember in Indianapolis Colts, he was he was a high draft choice, but he really never made his mark there. His production was down, and everybody thought he was a one trick pony that you could really easily shut out of the out of the game. So at the time, we didn't have anybody coming off the edge. Uh, uh, we had some guys that were aging out. So we said, let's take a flyer on him. Why not? Even if the worst case we get is a third down pass rusher that can at least draw attention away from and free other people up. Yeah, we thought it was worth the, the, the price we had to pay. And uh, the rest is history. I mean, he's still producing at a very, very high level. And the thing that people have to understand, sometimes it's just circumstances. And you put yourself in different situations and people believe in you then that flips the switch and people start to thrive. So uh, one person can be a bust in one system or one city or with one coach, go somewhere else and thrive. And that's, that's the interesting part and the most difficult part about the evaluation process. It's not always cut and dry. There's circumstances that can affect someone's product productivity and him, that person living up to the expectations. But I'd come in that, you know, I just got, I wasn't a part of that personnel staff with, with when they pulled that trade off. I came in right after it, though, for that season. And uh, Doug, what I love about Jerry was when we signed him to his extension, if you remember this, we went to Buffalo Chop House. He came in and we also had Shady, we just completed the Shady trade. Oh, Shady yes, was, yes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I tell you what, Tyler, to be around guys, well, especially Jerry, Shady was a little, he didn't know if he was celebrating or not at that point. He was still a little unsure with, he, he had, you know, his heart was in Philly still a little bit, I think. But to be around Jerry Hughes to sign that extension, to, to be around, like, you know, to think about the money he was, like, to see how just excited he was and like, and it makes you realize like, man, it's, it's life-changing what these guys do. And, you know, they put their life on the line as far as their physical, I mean, that game's so violent. But to see that reward, to see him really enjoy it, that was pretty cool. 
All right, I didn't know I was going to bring this up, Jim, but like uh, I just remember the the year I was covering you guys when you were around 2015. But I think it was up to the Philly game, and I went to Harrisburg and talked to Shady Hill High School coach at Bishop McDevitt. Jeff Wechter. Yeah, yeah, Jeff Wechter. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. And uh, he made a point that to say that you were the one who basically talked him off the ledge, I think, to some degree. I think, you know, I don't know the whole story there, but like, yeah, he was not very happy at first to be a Buffalo Bill. Nope. <laughs> Could you, I don't know yeah. if you want to get into that story. I mean, it's, I've heard bits and pieces, but never the whole thing. So, you know, we went to the same high school, uh, Bishop McDevitt in Harrisburg, obviously not at the same time, but at least there was some type of connection there. And then he also had a connection with Doug, uh, both playing at okay. Pitt. Right. And I think that night, to be honest, I think that night helped. Sh- like we had a really good night with Shady. LaRon came, his brother, family was there. It was it was nice. Like it really was a good time. And I think I think he he being able to speak to us a little bit and have some familiarity with those schools. And it was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to look at it from his standpoint, too. He's Philly favorite son. They drafted him. He is bowling out there. What do you mean I'm getting traded? And then they come to Buffalo. I mean, that's a shock to the system. Now, I'll tell you this much. It was a great job by his agent. His agent was like, hey, listen, he's not coming. He's not coming. And we had to really renegotiate his deal and sweeten the pot. And then that was the first trigger that was like, oh, okay, let me give it a try. And then that night, once he got in and, and LaRon was there, like Jim said, and he got the connection with us and understood what we were all about from the management side and being scarred from what happened to him with Chippen and Philly, he was like, do I want to go into another situation? And from the outside at that time, looking at Buffalo, people were like, Ooh, you don't really want to go there. But I think him and like Jim said, our connections, uh, it eased him and he, and obviously the, the, the contract extension. And then the, the, as they say, the rest is uh, history. I mean, he had a good career in Buffalo. He's still playing here at Tampa. That's why we can talk about him too. Like, but he had some good years here, you know, didn't make the playoffs. I'm sure he would have loved to have stayed in, in Philly, stayed in Pennsylvania. But I mean, I think it was, it's a trade that, that worked out. I mean, he was productive. Um, surprised he's still playing. I mean, why is he still playing? They got so many guys out there getting the ball. Like, I'm, I'm kind of surprised he wanted to keep going. But, well, Jim, you know, hey, then I, I know I, why I he wants to keep going. Those bonus checks aren't bad in the playoffs. <laughs> that and have a chance to play with Tom Brady. Yeah. And the, the guy truly does love football. He, he I was, loves, that was he one just thing, loves yeah. it. Yeah. That was one of the things that surprised me most. Not only does he love football, he's the football historian. He knows the game of football and the history behind it. And uh, that is one of the things that separated himself from a lot of people that were in that locker room. It, it is just fascinating to be somebody who gets the ball, you know, 20, 25 times a game his whole life. And, and now it's, he's kind of third, fourth string. I mean, it's like a, the biggest slice of humble pie, but he's it by all accounts has been a good soldier and he's one game away from playing in another Super Bowl. He hopes he's active. Um, but all right. People want to hear us talk about the game. So I'm sorry. Uh, Chiefs. No, wait, Tyler, we got to celebrate your, your, your Saturday was famous because you're, you're skipping over your boy, Jared Goff. <laughs> you're right. I am kind of skimming right past. You went, you, we had Goff and Lamar back to back. And I was like, this is Tyler Dunn Saturday right hey, now. Hey, I will say, uh, I, I don't know the Goff exact. No, at, at one point, he was, what, 18 of 20, I think? 
you know? Yeah, I was actually thinking, man, if they pull this off, you are going <laughs> to <leave. laughs> He was looking good. I mean, he's got a freaking broken thumb out there, and I, yeah, they're right. running the ball well. They're in the game. You know, he kept him in the game. Uh, that's about as well as you could have expected out of him, I think, in that spot. Like I said, you got to give the Rams credit. I think they weren't. They were playing without their starter, John Walford. <laughs> and if you if you hear the the what McVeigh saying out of there, every every position is going to be evaluated. Goff's our starter right now. I'll say this. Oh my uh, God! Yeah, the the backhanded. I I would put that game more on the Rams' defense than their offense. The offense did keep them in there. Their running game, I thought, was and that's one of the things talking about Green Bay going to the next game against Tampa. I'm a, I'm a, I'm the only thing that concerns me is Green Bay's run defense. And it, you know, with Petten's defense, that run defense has always historically been the weakest part of that, that defensive scheme. And when you have Fournette, Jones, those guys at Tampa, if they have the right game plan, it's not going to be uh, just a given that Green Bay is going to win that game. Oh, click, Tampa's clicking right now. And De- let's just talk about – let's not even bring up anybody else for the rest of the show except for Devin White. Oh, man. Oh, man. Like, I, I, we might be seeing – this is there's really nothing he can't do. I, I don't know if there's – this guy, this, this, what he's going to do in his career is going to be frightening. Like, that guy's violent. I mean, he was so instinctive, so violent, so productive – um, it's just, you hear LSU, it's like, yeah, it doesn't surprise you at all. I mean, those guys are like, we talk about the Landry's and these guys are Trey White's and Jamal. These guys are so tough. Those LSU guys. They have that trait. We always look for Monas and it's that junkyard dog trait. Those guys <laughs> will go out there and lay it on the line because it means so much. And it's, it's all about pride. It's, I am going to be the best at what I do. And I'm going to impose my will on you, even if you don't like it. I'm coming after you. And that type of personality and the way that his, the way he plays is infectious and people feed off of that. And he right now, anybody that's coming up in the game from high school to college needs to watch how he plays and carries about his business because that's what's going to be the future of NFL linebackers. How do you find that, guys? Like when you're, I mean, you can see it on film, you know, if a guy's just all over the freaking place, just knocking people's heads off, but like sitting down with somebody in a one-on-one interview or I don't know, any other way, talking to people who, who know that player best. Like when you're scouting that junkyard dog, like what traits, how do you find that in somebody? It's almost, it's almost scary how it just comes out when you start hearing their backgrounds, what they come from and what they had to go through. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these guys, to think they never probably thought they were even going to see a college and for them to have football as their way to get into college and play something they love their passion and intensity they're fighting for their life like they did this to get out of their back you know their hometown wherever they had to get out of their situation and they play like it's life or death yeah it's that it's that mentality that failure is not an option it's just not because I'm not going to go back. I've grown up in that situation, they're, what they're thinking. And I know where that leads. And I have a chance to get out of this. 
I'm doing everything humanly possible to make sure I take advantage of this situation and this opportunity. And that's why I, I that's one of the traits we, we put as the foundation of any player we'd like to get on our team is junkyard dog, because nothing that you present to them will ever phase them because they're going to conquer it. I love, you know, it's even in our profession, you like in, when you do a feature story and they get into their background, you hear that a lot. You know what I mean? It almost so much, it gets to the point where like it could be, uh, you could dismiss it as cliche, but it, you're absolutely right. It does mean something when you come from a, a spot in life, like I'm just thinking of like Kevin Byard, you know, with the, with the Titans. Mm, no Tennessee and, state. Yeah. Yeah. And he's even, you know, he's not somebody that's going to like knock you out. I mean, as much as he's going to take the ball away, but I mean, he's talking about ripping twigs off of trees outside of his home just to heat their house, you know, and mom working a zillion jobs and all this. I mean, it's like, it's unbelievable, you know, it, it, the situations that a lot of these players come from and they want to do everything in their power to make it right. That's why those videos are so emotional. You know, that first contract when they get mom a car or a house, like I can't get enough of those. Those are the best. And uh, you're right. You got to have some junkyard dogs this time of year. And he's Devin White. I mean, he was unbelievable in that game. Uh, I mean, just with, I guess, with the uh, yeah, Rams Packers, I don't know if anything stands out there from Saturday you want to get into. I mean, that, that, that Chiefs-Browns game, I'd love to get into that. The, the only thing I got to say about the Green Bay Packer game is where are all the media pundits that said Green Bay should oh, yeah. have drafted a wide receiver in the first round? I need all of them to step up and say we were wrong. They were 13-3 and three last year. They were 13 and three this year and Rogers is playing some of the best football in his career. Add to the fact they have a three headed monster at the running game. I just want people to say, Brian Gutekiss, tip your hat to him and say, we were wrong. That's all I'm saying. Well, good, good luck hearing that because, you know, back in <laughs> April it was, woe is me. I mean, we've talked about this, Jim, but like the outcry, not just from fans. I mean, you're talking people in the media like, no, of, offended, saying. like offended. How can you do this to Aaron Rodgers? How can you do this to him in his prime? This is, this is wrong. You know, I mean, it was universal. You didn't hear any, you're right, Doug. There wasn't much at all. Like huh? when, when, hello, I mean, don't people remember that they drafted Aaron Rodgers in the first round right after Brett Favre took him to the playoffs with a 10 and 16. They had all kinds of weapons. Nobody wanted a quarterback then. I mean, if the worst case scenario is Aaron Rodgers forces you to keep him for another two, three, four years, and you've got to trade Jordan Love, like you said a few weeks back, Doug, it's like you'll take that 100 out of 100 times. So it's – and all these weapons, they got weapons all over the place. I mean, Bob Tunyon, uh, MVS – Alan Lazard atones for the mistake with the, with the game-winning touchdown and, and, and the running game. Matt LaFleur's scheme is just, you know, cut from that Shanahan scheme, right? Where it's, it just seems like some lane, lanes are wide open for these guys, but they're really good themselves. And they got different types of backs. And Aaron Rodgers, it seems so far that he's been willing to swallow his pride a little bit and hand the ball off, which, you know, that he wants to throw sometimes in these moments you know, when legacies are made in the playoffs. And uh, it's okay to hand it off to Aaron Jones, to A.J. Dillon, to Jamal Williams. They've got some studs back there. So I, they've got options all over the place. I, I, I'm i with you on Tampa. I think that's probably the toughest matchup. That's probably the team they didn't want to play because they obviously smashed them. 
Um, but I think Green Bay's got a lot of different places to go with the football in that NFC Championship game to keep Tampa on their toes. Monus, what do you think? How do you think Tom Brady's going to survive in the elements with throwing a ball? I think that's the just, one thing. I think you should just throw to Devin White. They should just put him on offense. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Green Bay, Green Bay is really well coached. Like they are, and Doug, you're right about Petten's defense. I mean, the run defense was never for that's a little XEOE for me where I don't sometimes understand why it's not better. But that that game is gonna be so fun to watch. And I agree. I don't I think Grady should be fine. I mean, he's he's played in plenty of bad weather games. You know, he he's that won't phase him. The only thing that phases Brady is he doesn't want to get hit anymore. Like he's he's checked out on that. So it goes back to that. But Rodgers is just, oh, I, I can't. It's unbelievable watching him right on now. On another level. That's all you can say. He is. Why does anybody fall for the pump level. fake, by the way, guy? Like, every time he pump fakes, he, he runs. Like, he's never actually – he <laughs> pump fakes to run the direction he's pump faking and running. Like, there's – and everybody falls for it every time. Every time. In the heat of the moment, man. Yeah. You're always going to fall for it. It's just. It's, it was Leonard Floyd, too, right? It was, it was, it was yeah. a really good oh, yeah. player, I it think. Yeah. Floyd, yeah. <laughs> hey, did you guys. This thought came across. This isn't too footballish on this one, but when we're watching that Tampa game, if somebody came from another world and saw Bruce Arians on the sideline, <laughs> what what do you think? Like, would, like, what would they think? They would be like, look at these aliens. <laughs> they call us aliens. Look at these aliens. Like it almost like a robot. He almost looked like a robot. Like he was programming, like he was being programmed. And I, I was like, this, this just doesn't look it. There has to be a better look. It can't be that serious. He's just got so much swag. You know, when you've got that kind of, swag, you can just do whatever you want. Right. Berets. He doesn't glasses, care. No glasses. It doesn't care. matter. Yeah. No, that's a man that's secure in his own skin and he doesn't care what you think about him. So question I have though, go ahead. Most. No, that makes me think of a coach that's secure in his own skin is Andy Reid. You yes. make that call. Cause you don't give oh. shit because you won that super bowl. And I guess what? I got my super bowl. We're going for this. I love that. I'm not living in my fears, not whatsoever. I'm going to take this ball game. Yes. And, and, what, and who, you know who else feeds off of that? The players. The yeah. locker room knows he believes in them. And if that wouldn't have worked, every player I know would have stood up and said, I would have been more upset if he didn't go for it. Yeah. Such a good point, Doug. I mean, um, when me and Monas were texting during the game about that call, and I'm actually writing on it for tomorrow. Like that, that is where, I mean, if you're in this position right now, the playoffs, fourth quarter, game on the line. Like you're either, you're either like the apex predator or you're afraid to make that kind of call. Like I love Kevin Stefanski. I mean, he, he should be the coach of the year, but he had a chance, fourth and nine, you know, make a play, get nine yards, just do it. And, and then they punted, they never touched the ball again. Andy Reid, you know, at midfield has every reason. I mean, Tony Romo, who usually is predicting every play out there, like he, he was telling us all right, like, oh, they're just trying to draw them off. There's no way they run a play here. And it was the easy does it. Like, I how does that you mean a great you just made a great point though, Doug? How does that kind of feed into the mentality of the team? You think like how does that really kind of build something that beyond 
numbers and analytics when you when you attack a game that way that just lets people know especially the people that you depend on to win those games that we know this guy has our back he's going to put it in our hands we trust him to not only put us in a put the ball in our hands to win the game he'll put us in a great play to win so that confidence just starts to build and that's something that you cannot put a numerical value on confidence belief those type of things you analytics just doesn't help you with and that's a hard thing to develop and that's what especially in this time of year monus that's where teams feed off of and that's where team when you talk about teams of destiny it feeds off of things like that plays like that carry over to other tight situations that are going to come up in single elimination football and that's why those teams go on and win the Super Bowl. Look at the 2014 Packers with Mike McCarthy in Seattle when they're just doing whatever they want. They get to the one-yard line twice in the first half and kick field goals. They have the ball at the 48, fourth and one. They punt. They get At the end of the game, they're up 19 to seven, four and a half minutes. They just run it three times and they punt it away. I mean, you can blame Brandon Bostick all you want. I'll blame Mike McCarthy for... 10 other mistakes that led up to that. Like, I mean, he's the one who created that atmosphere in which you're not the apex predator. You're, you're getting eaten alive. And eventually they were. And I'll say this much. I know the competitors that NFL players are, they would rather win the Super Bowl by going forward on fourth and one than playing not to lose and punting and saying, oh, well, they didn't do the, job to win the game i would rather go out and win the game than play not to lose it and those guys will do it in and like i said it builds confidence for when you're in those situations for it you to take advantage of them these four teams that are left they all feed off each other's energy when you just watch the game you see the way they all celebrate and all are just like you can see like they're rooting for each other and like doug you talked about before i want to make the next play Avante David, he made he made a hell of a tackle late in that game. He was looking over at the same sideline. He was telling somebody, like, I'm coming for you next. Like, it was like these guys were on a whole other level as far as their intensity, like what they want to win. And this next weekend, the Bills have been like that all year. The way they they feed off each other as well. I always I like the way they they celebrate. They you see the O linemen, you see all those guys. Um really being a part of all of it. And the Chiefs are like that with uh, Tyron Matthews, ridiculous. Like we're, we're seeing the, the talent level of these four teams, the quarterback play. It's just, you can't ask for more. You kind of need one guy to lead the charge too, like a Diggs, what he's done there. To, I mean, you, he's the one out there barking at everybody, it seems, and speak it up like they want him to. Um, and that, that's where it's kind of, you know, they were a good team last year. They were good, but they weren't great. And now, now they can be great with, with that kind of a player. And here's what separates good teams from great teams. We always talk about culture. And culture is set from, I always believe it's set from ownership down. Coach, ownership coach sets the culture. But when you take that culture and the people inside the locker room start handling the culture and it's not handled by the coach or ownership or management, and it's all within the locker room and each of those players are holding their brothers accountable, that's when... That team goes from a good team to a great team. It transcends you. 
into that Super Bowl contending conversation. Is um is Russ Wilson going to give uh, Mahomes some of that concussion water? And make sure he's ready to go for the AFC Championship game. Like, hey, I I don't know if he's going to make it. Really? I mean, they're gonna the NFL wants it. To find, to they're going to find a way. They're going to find a way. And the average is nineteen days, I think. Right? Isn't that the lead? The Vegas average? spread. The Vegas spread came out. The Bills were favored, and and it and it got wild because people were jumping on it because they're they're they don't think Mahomes is going to play. Well, their was initial thought Gad- was he going. Was not Goodell at that game? Goodell was at that game. Goodell's in the locker room right now giving him some Goodell water. That's what's happening. <laughs> he's thinking, he's starting to look at like, wait a minute, let's look at this. You know, yeah. we need this game. We need the best. He was there. Yeah. They're young quarterbacks. We're going to make this happen. We'll worry about that concussion yeah. stuff later. We got to get these two young guns on primetime AFC championship. And that's how we keep. And guess what? The TV contracts are starting to get negotiated. It's coming up. We need, uh, don't worry about it. He, he's playing. There's been a lot oh. of talk about COVID and, you know, the, the social causes that the league's gotten behind. We were just talking about a couple of weeks, right, Jim? It's like, yeah. we, the, league, the concussions hasn't been the news at all. Like, we haven't, that was the number one storyline for this league. It felt for a good three, four years, you know, and you haven't read anything, you haven't watched anything, you haven't heard anything, and now here we are in a conference championship game. The best player in the universe is trying to recover from a concussion. It ain't going away. No. So, wait, here's a question for the week. We, we have to – for the. I know we don't want to preview the Bills-Chiefs game, but is Terry Pagula secretly rooting for the Chiefs because that's how much he loved Patrick Mahomes. Ooh. I'm not, ah, man, I'm not, I'm not prepared uh, no, to go I'd that far. No. no. I'm just playing. <laughs> you know better than me. <laughs> I know Terry's probably, I know Terry's got to be pretty damn happy right now. Yeah. And and, and he deserves it because, you know, he, they, they put their heart into this team in this city. And to see that, that they have a guy that's going to rival Patrick, even though we didn't take Patrick, at least he has a guy that's going to be in this AFC championship fighting, you know, yeah. to beat him every year. Speaking of AFC, if we talk about that, that conference is poised to dominate the Super Bowl for the next 10 years. And I'll tell you this much, it's going to be exciting. It's like the Western Conference in the NBA. You just it's just going to be a battle every year. I know that speaking of the NBA, have you been watching that at all? Yeah, yes, yes, I have. Brutal. Like it's not, it's, yeah, it is. I, a lot of I don't even know who's playing everything. No, so you might as well just wait till the last, till the playoffs, which is a shame. Tyler, we're talking about NBA now. So, sorry, I had to, I had to get another beer, and I'm drinking a little, little frosty the IPA after a little bit lager now from Hamburg Brewery, our, uh, our partners in crime. And you've got Lake a Lakeview lager. Lakeview. I love it. I love it. Doug, what are you working? I went with the champagne and beers, a little Miller High Life, the end of the weekend, celebrates the divisional round of the playoffs. So here's a question, Monas. Who's got a better coaching tree, Shanahan or McVay? Give me Shanahan's real quick. It would be LaFleur 
And um, McVay's is the Cincinnati coach, right? Taylor, what's yeah. his name? Yeah. yeah. So and I have to go. These are kind of intertwined, right? I mean, they could be. Yeah. Yeah. Just go Andy Reid. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Go Andy Reid. You know what's great about Reed? It's just like the conviction and being bold in that kind of moment. But it just, I mean, we've talked about the development of Patrick Mahomes. There's that. There's how we can relate to players. I mean, Sammy Watkins was, I remember him saying how just like talking to, like when he signed there, Reed would call him any hour on the hour. It could be 1130 at night. How's your family doing? You know, he was like a father figure for him. And, and Sammy's out there. You know, Sammy's got a mind where it'd be easy for a coach just to kind of say, I don't want to be around, like get out of here. And he just embraces different personalities everywhere he's been. I mean, he, he really is the gold standard, isn't he, of coaches in the NFL right now? You think, I always think judging coaches on, if they take multiple teams or programs in college and, and you know, they have something, they have a formula for success. What he did in Philly, it was just incredible. And then he goes to KC and does the same thing. I mean, he has to be up there. I mean, when it's all said and done, he's going to go down as one of the, you know, we're going to be talking about him. Was he the greatest? Yeah. Speaking of this, with the news this week about Urban Meyer, can he translate that to the NFL game? 100% think he has a chance to do it. Ooh, Here's why what I, I think he's got a chance to do it. He's, got, he's going to get a quarterback. He's walked exactly. into the system with a quarterback. It'd be different if he was walking in a system where they had no chance of getting a quarterback. So he's got a better chance than any of them. He's going to be just fine. He's going to get the quarterback. He's going to run his, he's going to get the players he wants. Just, I'm, I really believe he's going to do just fine. Cause he's got the recipes the same as Jimmy Johnson. That's how Jimmy Johnson built the Cowboys. He got Troy Aikman and then he got Irvin and he got Smith and he just built it that way. They have a chance to do that. And they could, they have a chance to get the cornerstone and the foundation of their, their, organization this year with 70 some million dollars in the cap and four picks in the top three rounds or five picks in the top three rounds it's when you think of scouting florida and ohio state over those years it it was just mind-blowing the amount of nfl talent that he was putting out there like he knows i mean he's gonna get these guys he knows what he wants and, and, and he's going to have the quarterback. He always had the quarterback for him, and he's got it. I think it's 100% going to be Trevor, don't you? Yes. It's got to be. But, like, his quarterback's never translated to the NFL, right? That, that's okay. Is that all right? I mean, he, does he his system, for, his offense, is it going to work college, in the NFL? For college, I can't imagine what's going to happen when he actually gets one that can play. Like, sky's the limit. Now, the thing I want to, I want to sit down in his draft meetings and hear what he cares about when you start talking about character. <laughs> we know. Not going to be too many red dots on that board. I said it before on the greatest ESPN 30 for 30, the Urban Meyer Florida years. I, I, I think that, I don't even think you can put that on ESPN. You'd have to put that on HBO or some subscription-based TV. It had to be ESPN Plus because that would just get really, really juicy, as they say. 
Sorry, we had a, a dog situation here. It's, it's snowing here in Boston, New York, and he was whining at the door. So I just had to uh, just kind of get him upstairs there for a second, fellas, jumping back in. What, hey, you're what, multitasking. Edmund, he's a handful. No, he's a good dog. He's a good dog. All right, we Tampa, New Orleans, anything else on that one before we look ahead a little at all? Anything on any of these games? Uh, no, I mean, the key to that game was obviously the turnovers. You, you hate yeah. to see Breeze go out like that, but if you score three times off of four turnovers, that's, that's just very hard to overcome, and especially when you're playing Tom Brady. So once that happened, it, it was all over. What percent do you give the Buffalo Bills to win the Super Bowl? Right now, on the spot, let's hear it. I think they can win it. Um, Percent-wise, I think they beat Kansas. I really think they're going to beat Kansas City. I do. I With do. Mahomes I, taking the concussion water? Really? I do. I love the way the Bills are playing. I, I don't know. I just There's something they have going right now that it's tough. They're, they're going to be tough to beat. Yeah. So my percent would be like, I guess you would say 50% chance to win. I mean, that's pretty good. That's yeah. really good. That's really good. I think they'd yeah. get pretty jacked I'd up about that around here. Yeah, I'd be in the I'd be in the 40s. I would. Yeah. And and if Mahomes doesn't play, then I'm I'm in the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I I believe the the winner of the Super Bowl is coming out of AFC, though. That's why. There is something about watching a Bills game. It just seems like somebody's going to make the play when they need the play. Taron Johnson, like Jerry Hughes, Gabriel Davis. It doesn't even have to be a big name. I don't know. I don't know what really goes into that. Maybe it is everything we're talking about on here. You know, the way you build up a, a mindset and a culture and you just build something to a point where somebody's going to make a play. You don't know who it's going to be. But it's going to be somebody because it's, it hasn't even really been the stars all the time for the Bills. It's confidence. It's just straight confidence. No matter what situation we're in, somebody's going to make a play for us to win, be it cause a fumble, recover a fumble, uh, make an interception, make the sack. And that again, that feeds. It, it just perpetuates it. And it's just people like saying, again, I'm scratching and clawing to make the play to help us win. And my teammates are going to love me and we're going to celebrate. And it's going to be, can you, it's infectious, but can you imagine this season? And this is what I, the only thing that to me is really detracting from the end of the bill season is those fans aren't there alive to see it. Those are ones that I feel the worst for because they had suffered through so many disappointing seasons and not to be able to be in the Bill Stadium right now for this historic run, it, it's heartbreaking. We talked about it last week on the pod. You guys know better than anybody. I mean, you felt it, you saw it, you tried to feed into it. It's, yeah, man. Well, that's a good place to stop because we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Thanks so much, guys, for popping on here late Sunday night. Having no a doubt. cold pops. Absolutely. We'll see you later on this week, fellas. Take care. Awesome. Thanks a lot for listening, everyone. Appreciate it.